Welcome back to the Big Gold Belt Wrestling Podcast fans. Aaron here. I'm going to do the intro real quick and sweet for you while we have the Real American theme playing in the background. Happy July 4th holiday to you uh, a little bit early for our midweek episode. We are going to bring you several segments this week. First, you will hear some discussion about the Beast in the East. Uh, live special that WWE is doing from Tokyo, Japan on Saturday. You'll have our predictions and our preview for the matches on that card. Followed by that will be my review of TNA's uh, 13th Annual Slammiversary pay-per-view. I did happen to watch the show. I'll talk more about that. And then we'll wrap up with some discussion about this week's episode of Tough Enough, as well as some WrestleMania 32 early fantasy booking, as well as some rumors about potential matches on the card that came out uh, within the past couple days. So without further ado, here's our preview for Beast in the East. Alright, if you're listening to this podcast, that must mean that you are psychotic, crazy, and nerdy about wrestling like we are, so we know you're going to wake up on July 4th, on your holiday day off, to watch wrestling before the sun comes up. We have Beast in the East, airing live from Tokyo, Japan, this Saturday, July 4th, 5.30 a.m. on the East Coast time, 4.30 here in Central Time, where I'm at. You do the math if you live somewhere other than those time zones. We are going to preview the card as has been announced um, as of Monday this week. I am Aaron here with almost all of my co-hosts. We'll start with two chains who got to see a sneak peek of the new Terminator. How are you, sir? Yo, yo. How's everybody? We have Dr. M in the house. What's up, man? Doing well. Happy to be here. And we have Celis who wants to shout out one of our listeners. Yeah, I want to shout out to uh, Don Cleveland, who's actually going to be a father soon in about five days. Uh, he won some tickets to Raw tonight off of 106.7 The Fan, a DC radio uh, show, The Junkies, which is the morning time radio show, sports radio. Um, so he was talking to me, saying how he's getting back into wrestling, and he really likes and listens to our show on a regular. So he helps. He thinks we've kind of helped him get back into wrestling. So shout out to Don Cleveland. That is what I like to hear. We are reaching out and enlightening the masses. Um, kudos to his kid for not being born during the show tonight. <laughs> Hopefully he didn't have to leave Raw for that, but congrats to him and thank you for listening. What we're going to do tonight is preview the announced card, like I said, for Beast in the East. I'm just going to work my way from the bottom up to the top. Uh, I'm reading it off of cagesideseats.com. Uh, we're going to start with uh, the opening match, Lucha Dragons versus The New Day. It is not for the titles. At the end of the day, it's rather inconsequential. I assume that Kofi Kingston is going to be eating a loss a little bit later in the show. We'll get to that shortly. But uh, New Day for the win, everybody. Uh, I, I, I want to say that. But at some point, if you want to build up the tag team, granted, I hope it's not the expense of The New Day got to make sure Lucha Dragons have at least a legitimate shot of being in that tag team realm. So I would like to say, I would like to see the Lucha Dragons get the win here just so they can show a universe showcase or a world showcase of their time. Dr. M? Yeah, I think uh, the, the Lucha Dragons will probably win. Um, much the same reason as uh, as Celis just said, and I think uh, the Japanese crowd 
they'll appreciate seeing uh, a different style than what they're used to. Two chains. Um, very spotty, but a new day uh, for the win. I'm hoping that they bring Bo Dallas over to Tokyo with them. He was kind of chummy with the new day and the eight man tag tonight. Uh, moving on, we have the five star classic waiting to happen. It is Cesaro versus Diego. Everybody say Cesaro on three. One, two, three. Cesaro. Cesaro. <laughs> Cesaro. Do I have to say either? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I hope that they start doing a little bit more with Cesaro like they did tonight on Raw. I don't want to spoil it for Celis because he has it on DVR. But uh, watch that Cesaro match tonight. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. We, now I have something to look forward to. When I yeah, it was the best thing that happened on the show tonight by far. Um, we actually have great. yeah. The, uh, the Divas Championship is being defended uh, in Japan. We have Paige versus Naomi, who I haven't seen on Raw in quite some time, versus the uh, champion Nikki Bella. Was, when's the last time we've seen Naomi? I'm trying to think, because I haven't really watched last, SmackDown much. Last week, I think. Was she on there? I've seen her. I don't I think, think I watched SmackDown. She was on SmackDown last week. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I know I've seen her. I'm just kind of getting frustrated. They're really not pushing her more, but maybe this is a step in the right direction. I don't see a title change happening here, nope. considering they kind of have this um, the Bellas versus the Divas division storyline, which I think is going to culminate with Paige bringing up a couple NXT ladies to help her take the Bellas down. So my pick is Nikki Bella here, but I'm looking forward to this match. What do you think, Two Chains? I see the exact same thing happening. What happened at whatever pay per view that was for this, this whatever card? Uh, Nikki Bella with a cheesy win that nobody's happy about. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't even know why you guys keep continuing to ask me about Divas matches because you know, <laughs> <laughs> my knowledge is limited on Divas matches. Understood. Sellers, <laughs> uh, Nikki Bella. Here's what I think is going to happen, but please forgive me. I need some help. I'm getting a brain fart. Now, who is the redhead that's on Total Divas? Oh, my God. Eva. Eva Marie, who is Eva kind Marie. of, uh, he's, she's going to be wrestling on NXT this week, I believe. I oh, would not no. be surprised. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Doctor. Uh, I would not be surprised if Eva Marie made an appearance uh. at this Tokyo show as an interference or whatever so Nikki can get the win. So maybe you can start a feud between Eva and Nikki going into that Total Divas feud that they're already advertising for Total Divas premiering on Tuesday on VH1, if I want to put in a plug for that. That's what I think is going to happen. But yeah, Nikki retains. I don't think Total Divas is on until later this month, isn't it? July 7th. Uh, July 7th, 17th. Yeah, okay. Oh, 17th for the 7th. I think it's... I don't know. A couple of, couple of days are... Uh, coming back on yeah, July. I thought it was like July 27th or something. I think we still have a couple weeks. Early July or mid-July. Okay. Yeah, I'd be... I think almost would be interested, too. They've teamed Alicia Fox up in that Team Bella group. Uh, she had a match on Raw tonight. It'd be interesting to have Eva Marie kind of join up just because I think she kind of vibes the same way as the rest of them. What do you think, Dr. M? He doesn't want to talk about you know, Eva Marie. Just, uh, <laughs> Give Divas a chance. Yeah, I'm just it. looking for a... No, you know, I think uh, Nikki's going to win, and uh, I'm just looking for whatever this feud is. I'm just looking for it to culminate, period. <laughs> end it. I think you're going to have to hold out until SummerSlam for that, but uh, 
I understand what you're saying, sir. Okay, yeah, real quick, I just was thinking about Alicia Fox, how she was at one time the Divas champ, and how she's nothing now. Just, just, just a quick thought. And you remember they were making that, um, she had that feud going on where they were doing, like, crazy Alicia Fox, and she was getting, like, popcorn and so, throwing it on people, so like, pointless. Yep. So pointless. I don't know, I was kind of into it, and then they just kind of dropped it, I just, I don't mind if they go a certain direction, but just don't drop it cold and leave that talent kind of hanging, I don't know. I mean, they've always, they've done it so many times with people, I can't even think of anybody else. It'll probably come to my head in a second, but they've done oh, well. build up that's led to nothing. Yeah. I mean, even character yeah. build up, like Cesaro, when he was a face, he was doing the king of the swing, and then it just disappeared. He was like, oh, what, did that, what happened to that? And, you know. You know what I want to do for our next Do You Believe In segment? I want to do a Do You Believe In Neville. He's the man that created Forgot, in my opinion. What about what about, uh, what's his name? I was thinking about today. I was like, I haven't seen this guy in a while. Then that's the name he's on Raw. Uh, what's his name? We the People. Oh, Swagger. Yeah, I don't, I, I heard he, Swagger. I, I heard he might be what? leaving the company soon, too, because he's like, his deal's almost up and he's not really being used well. Yeah, his, he, he had some of the, uh, best crowd pops for a while. Yeah. You know? Well, he had that he had that great heel shtick going into that world title match at WrestleMania 29, but then he got busted for marijuana. marijuana. I want to say, <laughs> and he kind of hasn't been the same since then. But man, he had a really he had a lot of heat as a heel back then. That was, I don't know. He seems like a TNA uh, heavyweight champion waiting to happen, in my opinion. <laughs> um, I, I agree. Yeah. So the next match I have listed here on the card, according to cage, uh, CageSideSeats.com, is uh, John Cena and Dolph Ziggler versus sure. the greatest king of the ring of all time, King Barrett, tagging with Kane. Uh, not a lot of storyline stuff for this match. I It'll be interesting to see like how the Japanese fans react to John Cena. I imagine he'll go over well. Uh, he yeah. he vibes a lot the same way that uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's kind of like the John Cena of New Japan. So I think they're going to like him. Uh, anybody have any strong opinions about this one? Because I don't care less, and I think Cena's I, team's going to win. I think John Cena's going to be in a reincarnation of Kobe Bryant when he goes to Japan. Everybody's going to go, <laughs> oh, man, this is not going to make no sense why. Like, But they're going to embrace him really deep. But this is definitely a dark match on SmackDown that's came to light. Yeah, so that's a no great season, point. No reason at all. That's that's an absolutely great summarization of this. That was perfect. So next on the card, we actually have Chris Jericho making an appearance on the card. I listened to his podcast pretty regularly, and a little over a month ago, he had Finn Balor as a guest, and he announced that he and Balor were going to be working these shows uh, in Japan because they're doing another show besides the one airing on the network. Uh, but now we know that Balor's obviously in what I think is going to be the main event for the NXT title. So Jericho's now working with Neville. Um, we'll start with you, Celis. What are your thoughts about this match? Do you see Jericho putting him over? Because that would make sense to me. 
Yeah, I, I think Neville with the win here, but I also think this could be a match of the night candidate. Yeah. Jericho always does bring the best out of people when it comes to wrestling matches, and he can wrestle super heavyweights, he can wrestle cruiserweights, and this is going to be like a cruiserweight-type match based on the, they have about the same weight. And I think just the way both of them move in the ring, this definitely could be a match of the night. It's going to be some near falls, it's going to be some close counts, but I think Neville is the right decision to go over, and this will be a great rub if Chris Jericho can put him over. For sure. Uh, Dr. M? Yeah, I, I think Neville's going to get the win. Uh, I think Jericho is at the point in his career where he doesn't mind putting people over at all, and uh, this will be a good uh, rub for Neville. And uh, two chains. And I disagree. I think this is going to be sort of like a Jeff Jarrett sighting. He gets brought in, kind of going to... You know, for people that may not know the car, it's going to probably be like a head scratcher, but I think he pulls out a win. I think Neville will be uh, put on to look really good, but nonetheless falls short. You know Which what? I don't think it hurts him either because, I mean, it's still Chris Jericho. Yeah. And Chris Jericho did the same thing to Bray Wyatt. That was what I was just about to say. Jericho, in my opinion, had no business ever beating Bray Wyatt, and he did get a clean win over Bray Wyatt, and then I think Bray got it back the pay-per-view after that, but I was just going to bring up the same thing. Absolutely. Um, our semi-main, from what I've read online, is Kofi Kingston, who's going to attempt to bring down the beast in the East, the conqueror, the, the one in 21-1, and one, Brock Lesnar. Um, in my opinion, this is just a glorified way of putting Brock back in the ring and making him look strong after losing at Mania and after the beatdown from the Authority last week on Raw. But um, I look forward to seeing what Kofi Kingston can pull out in this match. Um, thoughts, too, James? Uh, there is, man, I just forgot. I'm not allowed to say words I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> there is absolutely no chance in a cold freezing bottle of season street rain and a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Two chains. There's, there's no rationale behind this match at all. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, I'm starting to realize that Kofi Kingston gets is getting put in these matches as of late that he doesn't belong in at all. And I'm wondering if it's just a sign of how much WWE um, is confident, sort of, that they can put him anywhere and he he'll do fine. I uh, I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I think it's. I think he does demonstrate having uh, credible health to be put in these type of matches, and you know, you have to, He's not risk. He's not risky. Otherwise, I think right. this would be a Dolph right. Ziggler match right here. Yeah. Um, um, continue. Yeah, and, and it just makes me think that uh, 
Kofi Kingston's probably one of those guys that will probably never get future endeavored <laughs> because he can sort of get, you know, penciled in anywhere and he'll he'll put on a great show. Yeah, he's kind of like the modern-day version of William Regal, not to compare his in-ring skills to William Regal's skills, but they're both great. But, yeah, he's kind of that, that good hand that's just going to be around for a while. Uh, that makes sense to me. Celis, any thoughts on this match? You know what? This is crazy because I wish I would have heard what 2 Change says, but I cannot hear anything he's saying. So what I, I'm hoping he's saying was very funny. But um, <laughs> but in my opinion, like 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 I heard what 2 Change said or heard of what 2 Change said, this match really makes no sense. But I agree with you, Dr. M. If they're putting Kofi in these little high matches as him being the one out of the new day that's getting elevated to these superstar matches, even though he's losing, maybe he'll just get a chance one day, oh, yeah, Kofi's still part of the New Day, but maybe we'll give him the WWE World Heavyweight Championship one time, even if it's for only a day. I'll take it, you know? But let's just make sure that you're progressing Kofi's career because he is too talented to be wasting too much time. For sure. Um, why don't we take a quick pause for the cause and make sure that we can all hear each other again, fans, and we'll be back in about 10 seconds. Fans, we're back from our technical difficulties. We all reset. We increased the bandwidth. Uh, technical difficulties happen. We are recording from three different states in the country right now, so it is what it is. Um, we were talking before about how this match, you know, having Kofi go against someone like Brock just makes absolutely no sense. Uh, I wanted to share with you guys one thing I read online. Um, Brock wanted to make a trip at some point to Japan uh, you might remember that uh, I think it was after his tenure with the Vikings, but before his UFC career, Brock was the IWGP heavyweight champion over in Japan, and he has a lot of Japanese contacts, and there was some like veteran Japanese either booker or wrestler that he wanted to pay a visit to, and he's going over to perform the one date so he can kind of write the flight off as a business expense. That's something I read online. I don't know if there's any truth to it, but I can't imagine... Dude's hurting enough for money that he needs to cop on WWE's plane to get over there, but hey, you know, I guess we don't, he doesn't get rich by spending money, so I see how it goes. He's a businessman. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the, here's the part of the preview I was looking forward to the most, what uh, a lot of people think is going to be the main event. We have the NXT champion Kevin Owens taking on Finn Balor. I. I'm torn on this. To me, if they're going to keep Kevin Owens being strong and dominant, it makes a lot of sense for him to retain here. But then again, you need to kind of get that strap off of him soon if he's going to be full-fledged main roster. So although the build for the feud hasn't been great, and I've spoken about that on past episodes, I think we see Finn Balor win the NXT Championship here. Um, I don't know if Samoa Joe makes an appearance or not. I'm not sure what his indie date schedule is. But they've worked Samoa Joe into this feud so much, and it seems like he has a ton of unfinished business left with Kevin Owens. So I'm not really sure how that fits into it. What are your thoughts about it, Dr. M? You know, I thought uh, I, I thought I was pretty sure Finn Balor was going to win the title uh, this Saturday. Until tonight, um, I fully expected some sort of a, a build 
or some sort of even just mention of Finn Balor tonight on Raw. I know. Because we didn't get it. Yeah. I'm almost starting to think that maybe they are going to keep it on, on Kevin Owens, even though I agree that he does need to get rid of that strap so he can focus on uh, Cena and the U.S. title. Yeah, I was shocked that they, I mean, they pushed the Brock Lesnar part of it, but, like, I feel like enough people watch the network that, like, if you don't know who Finn Balor is, you know, it would have been a good place to introduce him to those people who aren't necessarily watching NXT every week because this is going to be a big match, man. Like, they're defending that their developmental title in Tokyo, Japan, in what will likely be the main event. Like, that's pretty cool. Uh, Sellis, what are your thoughts? I've been thinking long and hard. Again, I didn't see Raw tonight, and as you said to me, it was no bill for Finn Balor. But let me take a second to break this down. WWE NXT is for developmental talent in which to Americans, we're finally getting to see them in which they've already been wrestlers worldwide. Finn Balor's uh, well-known around the world, so is Kevin Owens wrestling many different promotions in this countries and foreign countries or uh, different world countries. Um, so this is actually, I think, going to be a match for the world and not a match for the Americans. But let's think about the time frame. It's 5.30 on the East, 4.30 a.m. in Central Time, where you are, Aaron, where this paper or this not pay-per-view special event, this piece of the East is being performed. I don't think this pay-per-view is for us. I think this is really for the international flavor of fans that follow wrestlers before him, but it's now bringing us to the stage of American culture. So even though it has not been built, even though we would like to see more build and try to promoting this this show, I think just for the fact that in Japan, you having two worldly known wrestlers performing against each other will be hot enough for the Japanese crowd. And I think based on the talent that Kevin Owens brings uh, and shown us in the last couple of pay-per-view events that we had on the WWE Network, and based on the whole experience from the opening entrance to the wrestling style of Finn Balor, I really still think Finn Balor will still win. However, I believe Samoa Joe needs to make an appearance to try to tease something. Maybe have a non-title feud with them, bringing them up to the main roster of WWE. I don't know. But I just think based on what this pay-per-view is going to be doing for the whole world, especially in Japan, um, I, I really think Finn Balor is going to win. Even though it may not make sense to us Americans that have just only seen the snippet of those two and not really against each other. That's what I think. That's a really, a really great point because, you know, not a lot of people know this, and I've only recently started learning it as I've gotten more and more into New Japan, but the guy who started the Bullet Club was Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor. He started the Bullet mm-hmm. Club faction with uh, the Machine Gun Carl Anderson, and gradually it's expanded to include pretty much every you know American guy that's working over there now, it seems like. Um, even Jeff Jarrett was wearing Bullet Club stuff at Wrestle Kingdom 9 this past January, but that's a great point. Like, Basically, from what I understand, and granted, I haven't done a ton of my homework on the time when uh, Fergal Devitt was over in New Japan, but he was like the most one of the most over guys they have ever had over there. Yep. And the yep. reaction he's going to get on that show is going to be huge. And I yep. think you're right when you say that they don't really need a lot of build because this has definitely got some international flavor on it based on these two guys' past, specifically uh, Finn Balor and his time in Japan. Uh, two chains, who do you predict is going to win the match? Um, so I guess the kind of... Uh, touch with some notes. Um, the Finn Balor 
WWE documentary definitely emphasizes on his career coming from Japan, and that's been going on the network um, at least every day a couple of times. So um, I think that's um, built enough in this own. But as far as uh, you know, the in, the in ring build, I would appreciate just a little bit more. Um, NXT hasn't never gave me a direct feel like, you know, this feud is real. It just seems kind of like day-to-day. It's like, uh, you know, this is a pay-per-view coming, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit. Let's, let's, let's uh, foreshadow a tag team match. You know, it's just, it just seems like it's not really taken too serious. But, like I said, you go back to the documentary, you see, like, his history there, and I, I think that's credible enough. Um, and even if you want to start, like, putting dice together, you can say, hey, look, him, uh, Finn Balor, and uh, Sami Zayn was really good friends. We see Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens um, documentary and their feud, and you can make it into a, a, one big picture. Like, hey, you know, this is something that he's doing this for his friend. I'm pretty sure Sami Zayn will make an appearance. That That's my wild card. But uh, just to see who's going to win, I think Finn Balor wins. Um, He's already been promoted for the new WWE 2K16 in his demon uh, outfit, and I think that's something they want to emphasize on and, you know, to show Japan, like, you know, this is how we're branding him. You know, it's the same guy, but this is how we're branding him, and uh, I'm as shocked as we was when we seen him. I think they would be just as excited, but um, you got two hard workers that's going to get in the ring, but for the hometown win, I think... uh, Balor wins it. Yeah, I, you guys have definitely convinced me. I think he's definitely going to win it. I don't think you put the documentary packages that they've been doing on him, you don't put those kind of things together, and you don't announce him as one of the first six guys in the new video game if you don't have big plans written out for him. Uh, right. My dream, you know, fast-forwarding ahead to WrestleMania 32, when we're all down there in Texas next spring, is if they kick the show off with, like, you know, a multi-man, like, ladder match or something, it would be sick if that was the first entrance on the show, just to really set the tone and start it off right and just really trick his entrance out. That would be amazing. Um, I know Hideo, Hideo Itami's making an appearance on the show for, for, uh, for sure. He is injured. He's got a cast on, as we saw last week. Yeah. I'm hearing September or October is when we could expect to see him back. So definitely, uh, definitely looking. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. But I hear no Sami Zayn until 2016 is what I'm hearing. That injury was pretty messed up. I, I think. No, I just mean. I think I just see him coming out to congratulate him on the win. You know the typical. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that too for sure. Um, I think. Uh, I definitely think that the win will be convincing. Um, I think a slight interference. Um, but maybe not an interference, but maybe it's just some foul play. And I think we see John Cena interfere. Interfere enough so that, uh, you know, um, Finn Balor picks up the win, and he's also in the presence of congratulating him for the win with, you know, the whole NXT thing where everybody comes out. And yeah. That would, be, um, that would be really cool. Another another thing I was kind of saying at some point uh, during that little intermission was um, – I think that they're they're branding this card to have at least um, from whoever's on the the current roster 
to have representations of all the different nations of people. So that's why you have maybe like a Kofi Kingston, a Wade Barrett, a Paige. Um, to the point. And uh, who else? But, uh, you know, I think no, they're yeah. trying to brand all their different nations for this match. But I think that that's a, a really great kind of global outlook. It's, and I think they're going to be doing a lot more of this because I think they're going to see that people really get into this live special overseas because we haven't seen anything like that from WWE in several years. It will be um, interesting to see if they continue that global kind of focus like you're talking about because I saw they recently brought some new talents in on contracts to the developmental, like not on NXT yet, but they're in developmental at the Performance Center. They've got a couple people from India. They brought someone in from Brazil, I saw. Um, so, yeah, well, they're definitely getting that international flavor. I It breaks my heart for Hideo Itami that he can't be on the show because, mm-hmm. gosh, man, they I can't think of the last big, legit, like, Japanese or just Asian star WWE's had. Like, that would have been so huge if he could have yeah, been on the show. It really would have been cool. Um let me let me let me kind of close out our preview with this. I'm getting up early and watching it, and it's four thirty in the morning, my time, Central Time Zone. We'll start. We'll go down the line. Um, Celis, are you getting up and watching it live with us? Yes, um, getting up. A couple of things I want to add on to that, and I will be watching the five thirty live Eastern Time. Two change just to piggyback what you said. Um, Chris Jericho, he's Canadian. You got Neville. Um, Who's another international star? England. You can even go to the Lucha Dragons and Cesaro and Diego are both, you know, from different parts of the country as far as their heritage. So you made a great point on that that this is like a world renowned matches that they're mixing together. And a quick question for you, Aaron. Yeah. Just based on what you said, this gave me a great idea for Mania 32. Maybe this could be a dream match. Okay. Would you like to see a ladder match for the NXT title? I um, wish they would have done that this year, but I. I I think it's kind of nice that they waited on it. Okay. Um, it would be, a, I think if they do anything like that, I don't know if I'd put a ladder match because I don't think you want to overshadow the main roster guys, but yes. I think that would be a tremendous pre-show. Um, maybe give them eight to ten minutes, something not too big. Right, right. Um, I, well, the, other, the other thing I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Balor, if he is brought up to the main roster like I think he will be before Mania, if I think his first feud should be with Sheamus, have have him say, "I'm I'm the Irish guy here, fella, not you." I think that's a, a feud waiting to happen, and then you could have him kind of take down the you know the giant in Sheamus. I think that would be a great, I think that'd be a great opener for Mania. Mania, excuse me. I, only problem with that is you focus too much on his Irish heritage. Yeah, where we want to see him branded as the Dean. This is true. And not even just the demon too, because um, you know we do that. That's that's the perception that his character gets. But at the same time, if you uh, watch the documentary, he's very big into comic books, um, superheroes, and stuff like that. And I would love to see him branded slightly hotter, trying to brand Neville now, but go full out, give him the superhero package uh, with his demon character. You know, if they, you know, some, something like. Obviously, it kind of looks like it, but channel him either like as a Spider-Man or as a Venom, whereas it's just like you know his his um his entrances or his costume depicts who he is at that time. He's kind of like the best of Jeff Hardy and Ultimate Warrior, uh, but a guy who just so technically sound kind of rolled up into one. It's kind of a Jeff, 
Jeff Hardy is exactly what I mean by that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without the drugs. <laughs> Without the drugs. Yeah. But obviously the talent, the charisma, and you know his character—you believed in him. The what was his? What was his name? The Enigma. Yeah. yeah. Charismatic Enigma. You yes. believed in that character. I mean, his run in '09 uh, when he feuded oh, with CM awesome. Punk was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ma, Doctor M, are you going to be watching the show live? I certainly will. He's going to stay up and watch Wimbledon after that too. He was telling me about that before <laughs> we started yes. recording. That's going to be big. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, it will be. And um, two chains, are you going to get up and watch it live? I watched uh, Wrestle Kingdom live. Me too, man. There's no no question I'm up for this. Awesome. Then um, maybe we can just all record our review right after it's done. It'll be about 7.30 your time, 6.30 my time, because it's only a two-hour show. I read that today also. It's not a... Like a three-hour pay-per-view, it's a two-hour show, and they have seven matches. So, and I think that's perfect. Uh, yeah, perfect I think yeah, the, a lot of the undercards should be quick, you know, nice matches. I think it's going to be um, it's going to be a fast-paced show, man. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for our re- uh, preview, not our review, our preview of uh, Beast in the East. We will catch, uh, catch up with you guys about this show after it concludes this Saturday, July 4th. Enjoy. guys I watched Slammiversary I did it I didn't feel good about it while I was doing it didn't feel good after the fact I feel dirty right now I do no I'm being dramatic I did watch the 13th annual Slammiversary from TNA Impact Wrestling I'm uh, going to give you a real quick uh, blow by blow of my thoughts uh, the opener was a three way elimination match for the X Division title Um, we kind of all knew how this was going to go. There weren't going to be any title changes since they just filmed like four weeks of TV before the pay-per-view. So you knew T-Great Uno was going to take it home, but it was still a decent match. Um, well worked by all three guys. Uh, DJ Z, I believe, went out first. Uh, then Manic, T-Great Uno was the sole survivor there. Next, you had, uh, Robbie E defeating Jesse Goddard. Um, they did a really nice video package kind of highlighting the feud for people like myself who hadn't tuned into every single impact along the road to getting to Slammiversary. They put on a pretty good hard-hitting match. I kind of thought Jesse Goddard was going to win, kind of establish his heel persona, but Robbie E. ended up pulling out the win after an inverted DDT as the finish. Now, on the days when you watch Ring of Honor, you watch a Kevin Owens-John Cena match, and it takes like 17 finishers before you can pin a guy. This was very shocking to see an inverted DDT be the move that put it over the top and led to the finish. Um, So I thought that was interesting. I kind of liked that. It was pretty cool. Uh, Not going to talk a lot about Bram versus Matt Morgan. Uh, Glad to see Bram get the win and kind of continue his heel game of uh, beating former TNA talent. Um, Austin Aries had a good match and defeated uh, Davey Richards. Again, you know, yeah, I could have not read the spoilers, but here's the thing. 
This was a match to determine who gets to pick the stipulation for the fifth match in the best of five series for the vacant TNA World Tag Team Championships, which is going to occur at the bell-to-bell special that you may or may not have already seen by the time you actually get to listen to this. But it kind of it takes me out of the story and out of the match a lot when I know that regardless of what the crowd does or regardless of what the guys in the ring do, you know, we know the finish is already predetermined. But I think back to when I went to WrestleMania 30 and I got to watch that story unfold where the crowd just completely dominated the Daniel Bryan story to the point where they had to add him to the main event of WrestleMania. When you tape so much TV in advance before pay-per-view like TNA just did, you can't... You, you take away one of the best parts of wrestling, which is what the crowd can do to maybe sway storylines or what the guys in the ring can do to maybe get themselves over more and have creatives say, you know, maybe we need to do something different here. Maybe this guy needs to be elevated. So it just took me out of the match. Um... I believe they, the Dirty Heels ended up picking a stipulation of a 30-minute Iron Man match to cap off the Best of Five series. If you've read who's staying and who's leaving in TNA, you probably already know how that's going to turn out, whether you did or did not read the spoilers. Three-on-two handicap match with Awesome Kong and Brooke defeating the Dollhouse. Don't care, don't care. Title matches at Bell to Bell. James Storm and Magnus bludgeoned each other all over the arena, or the impact zone, I should say, to the point where they disrupted some audio cables over by the side of the entrance area, and the announcer's mics were in and out for the better part of 45 minutes or so. Maybe I'm over-exaggerating that, but there was um, the mics were really messed up. Mr. Anderson came out in the next tag match, uh, teaming with Lashley to lose to EC3 Tyrus. And he pulled, the mic came down, and he couldn't do his gimmick because they had no sound. Uh, but James Storm and Magnus put on a really great match. Um, sounds like they're both kind of dabbling with Global Force Wrestling and this rumored invasion angle and leaving TNA uh, maybe on a contract basis. Maybe that's kayfabe. A lot of rumors out there about TNA and Global Force Wrestling doing some sort of invasion angle. We will discuss that a lot more in depth on a future episode. But yeah, um, pretty good, non-sanctioned, kind of hardcore style match. Nothing really big that I connected with in it, just because I wasn't a big fan of the story that they were telling in this feud. Tag match was good. You kind of knew EC3 was going to win. And then we get to the King of the Mountain match, which is a a gimmick match that I've never really been a big fan of, but I'm not going to lie. If, if you can put aside like I did that it doesn't make a ton of sense for Jeff Jarrett to win the King of the Mountain title or the Legends Championship or whatever they want to call it now, if you can put that aside that it was weird to put over in the main event of one of your big pay-per-views, one of your two only pay-per-views of the year, put over a guy who's not even really with your company, putting aside that they may be doing an invasion angle with Global Force Wrestling, it's a pretty cool story that they told in... You had Jeff Jarrett come out and gets a really great reaction. And then you have him eat the first two pinfalls and have to spend the better part of the beginning of the match in that penalty box. And he keeps trying to hit the stroke and get pinfalls so he's eligible to hang the belt um, over the ring, you know, climbing that ladder. And he 
always gets cut short. Someone interrupts his pinfall, this, that, the other thing. And then he finally makes the pinfall happen. I think it was a stroke off the ladder or something like that. But um, he eventually gets the pinfall, eventually finds himself eligible. Lots of great spots in and out of the ring. I liked the spot with um, Jeff Jarrett and Bobby Roode and Eric Young in the ring, and they're ready to kind of, the three of them beat up on each other. And Bobby Roode says, uh, we started this place. Let's, let's, you know, get it on right now, for what lack of a better term. So that was kind of cool. I felt a little bit bad when he says something like that, though. It's like, I don't know if this company's going out of business soon. Do you, do you feel any regret that you stuck around as long as you did? Because Bobby Roode's one of the better talents in the business, in my opinion. You know, has been for a long time. But uh, I thought they worked a great match. It was cool to see Drew Galloway get a main event on a pay-per-view. It was something he cut a promo on earlier in the show. The match ultimately was capped with Jeff Jarrett. Hanging the King of the Mountain Championship above the ring, and then they bring out his wife was already out there, and they bring out his kids to celebrate with them in the ring, and then they had to go off the air real quick. But I, that was probably my favorite match, and I was very surprised that it was. So when I look back at Slammiversary uh, 13, I think about the return of Jeff Jarrett, obviously. I think about, you know, overall some well worked matches, but I. I find myself wishing that they had really been able to make this a bigger show than what it was. You know, having all the spoilers and the rumors out there about people leaving, it just kind of took a lot away from the show. Ultimately made the show not mean as much when, no matter what happened, you know, like I said, we know wrestling's predetermined, but it took away some of that magic, you know. The crowd could have really popped for a guy or popped for one of the knockouts and you know, something could have happened in the ring that was magic and it could have swayed the storylines moving forward, but, you know, that won't happen because we knew the, le- the the four weeks following this are already figured out and put to tape. You know, I think you could have had that King of the Mountain match. You could have had that hard-hitting James Storm Magnus match. You could have had um, Bram Matt Morgan. You could have had Robbie and Jesse Goddard. But then I think, you know, even out the card... You could have had EC3 and Angle in that title match. You could have had the three-way for the knockouts title. You could have had the fifth match in the, the tag series. And that would have been a pretty solid pay-per-view, which is something that TNA needs because now they're giving away three championship matches on TV. You know, Granted, we're kind of used to them at this point, giving the whole kitchen sink and then some away for free on TV, and then you know, what reason do you have to order the pay-per-view? So I'll kind of look at, I'll look back at Slammiversary with a little bit of fan regret, but it was a half-decent show. Like, I I tuned in and out of it quite a bit. You know, I was trying to watch the uh, the Cubs-Cardinals game, but they were in a rain delay for half the night while I was watching this. I ended up uh, reading what, this Dan Brown book I was reading that I just finished today. In and out of the pay-per-view, you know, some of the stories I wasn't feeling, like I said, but it was a decent show if you have means to watch it, you know, give it a watch if you're a TNA fan. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, especially with that King of the Mountain match. That was, I liked that a lot more than I had any reason or business or intention of doing. So that is my Slammiversary 2015 review. Uh, Let us know on our Twitter page at BGB Group or on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Belt. what you guys thought of Slammiversary if you happen to see it. And that is my review. 
word like this is basic thugonomics this is basic basic thugonomics word like i'm untouchable but i'm forcing you to feel me word like this is basic basic thugonomics word like What's going on, everybody, to the latest installment of the Big Gold Belt Podcast? This is Silly Sellers here, moderating this today. We're going to talk a little bit about toughing up in the surprise segment that we're going to add today. I got two of my co-hosts here today. Let's start with Dr. M. How are you coming today on this evening? Doing well, sir. How are you doing? Doing good as well. And A.A. Ron, how are you feeling, sir? I'm okay. My wife was just complaining about tough enough a lot to me, but we can get into that more in a little bit. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Well, uh, I thought tough enough was a a decent episode today. Definitely built off and had me anticipated for the whole uh, whole hour today. Funny stuff, some negative stuff. But let's go ahead and tip right into you, Aaron. You said your wife had a lot of complaints about it. Uh, What did she have in complaints? Did you agree with her? You know, what's your thought about the show tonight? I mean, I I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed the stuff in the the second half hour more so than the first half hour when they got actually into the wrestling stuff a little bit. And that was kind of her big complaint because she watched the Stone Cold season, uh, what was that, like three, four years ago? Yep. And uh, the one that that Silent Rage won, and we haven't seen him again. And then uh, we also, like I said on previous episode, we watched season one on the network from uh, start to finish over the last couple days. And uh, she just kept going back to the fact that they're not wrestling. They're just having drama or they're, like, swimming with alligators. This has nothing to do with wrestling. And, like, my wife's not the biggest wrestling fan. And for her to say that, that's kind of a big statement, I think, because, like, I'm a hardcore wrestling fan, and I just love seeing them learn how to take a bump. And, like, that was a – like, if you go back and watch season one, that's a really big deal. Some people didn't learn how to take the bump properly and for, like, four or five days – and they were just sore and stiff, and they could barely move. And then, you know, this, they kind of just turned it into a challenge. Like, I almost want to tweet Al Snow, who was the head trainer on the original season, and ask him, would you have people taking flat back bumps off the top turnbuckle on first day of bumping? Like, that just seems a little irresponsible. And um, I guess I question if this is a show now meant to train people to wrestle or to get their feet wet to see if they could eventually wrestle. Hmm. Gotcha. And I, and I can understand that. I do have a comment and a, a thought about that based on what you said, but I'm going to let Dr. M go first. Uh, what do you think, comparison to what Aaron just said? Do you agree, disagree? How do you feel? Well, I certainly agree that uh, there doesn't seem to be as much emphasis on, on wrestling on this season of Tough Enough. And it's funny uh, that we bring this up because I, I've happened to notice from the few times I've checked in on the Tough Enough quit Twitter account that that seems to be where they post a lot of the sort of in-ring work. Um, A couple days ago, as a matter of fact, I I was on Twitter a bit, and I noticed that there were several posts in a row where they were showing contestants running ropes, taking bumps, and doing some other exercises in the ring. And that's not not stuff we're seeing on the television show. So uh, I guess we can assume they are learning (laughs) wrestling, but... (laughs) Some, for some reason, it's just not being translated to TV. 
You know, it, can I jump on that real quick? I, I also yes. saw some of that stuff on Twitter, but it made me mad. Like, I know Daniel Bryan was in there watching him train the other day in the ring, and they didn't even show that on the show tonight. Like, that would have been a really good thing to add, considering he's one of the judges and decision makers. Absolutely. absolutely. I totally understand. But let's take it at this point, fellas, and this is why I wanted to come to air. Um, let's remember who's running this show. It's Vince McMahon. And what does Vince McMahon want with his wrestling business? He wants first to everybody know it's dealing with entertainment. So if Vince McMahon can find another show or a time slot to be on the USA Network where he's showing a reality TV series with wrestling components, this is the way how he wants it set up. For example, he wants the drama. And even what Sarah Lee said, and I paid attention to it when she gave her little 30-second snippet at the end to try to save herself, and she really got the most votes to, uh, to be saved. I voted and for this. I'm not going to get in arguments and try to fight with other girls to try to prove my point. And that's what you basically saw for about a good 10 minutes of the section was the argument and bickering between Diana and Daria and all the other components that are ladies arguing over silly stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, the Vincent Man or the WWE feels like this is what's going to bring our non-traditional wrestling community or non-traditional wrestling fans to, to watch this show because they want to see the drama. You think of shows like The Bad Girls Club or Marriage Boot Camp, and a thing that really sells with those cameras is drama, drama, drama. Now, as a hardcore wrestling fan, I totally agree with you because I feel like this needs to be more about bumps. This needs to be more about who can take the reins. And once again, kudos to Patrick. He was the main one that I only saw in the ring, maybe with Tanner too, that showed they know what to do in the ring. And I want to see a point where if it's going to be a match between, let's say, Tanner and Patrick to see who's going to be the male winner, I want to see if they can carry on a five- to ten-minute match and look good. I don't want to see if they can run through a swamp to see if they can swim to pick up a belt and swim back because I know personally I can't swim myself. But swimming does not mean that you cannot <laughs> compete in the ring. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you saying, but we got to remember what's this for. This is trying to get a national audience to try to boost up his ratings to try to cover a whole bunch of components with entertainment with wrestling components instead of being a wrestling company, you know, focused on wrestling. Yeah, it's, um, I guess maybe my wife and I tonight and, you know, several other people, it seems, I guess just having a hard time resolving what the show was compared to what the show is. And it's just interesting, second week in a row, the person that was eliminated, I mean, maybe you could say Alex's elimination tonight had to do with his performance a little bit, because, you know, the swimming thing didn't quite work out. Um, He seemed like he was bumping okay for the most part, but granted, I don't know the first thing about bumping. But it was mainly based on something that he said. It was, you know, that people don't need to learn the history of wrestling. And, like, my wife and I both got super angry when he said that, and you know, God bless Patrick for speaking up for the business like he did. Um, but it's two weeks in a row now where the person that said the wrong thing went home. It's just interesting. Dr. M, let me ask you a question. And that's mm-hmm. a great point that you brought up, Aaron, as far as what Patrick said. Now, Patrick said two versions of that same comment. One version was on the cameras. That was for the reality series portion. But one portion was on the live episode, and he kind of rebuttaled his statement in a little bit, but still stood by it in a way. Now, based on those two statements, one that he said that, oh, yeah, you got to know this wrestling business if you want to do it. Just like he's saying, if you want to know about football, you can't miss, you know, miss who Ray Lewis is. Did you feel like he should have kept with that same statement when he went to the live show, or do you think it was more professional for him to say what he said in that live portion with Daniel Bryan asking that question? I mean, I... I... 
I think as a casual viewer, I in casual viewer of this show, but also hardcore wrestling fan at the same time, I certainly am more inclined to, to lean toward his first statement. Um, I just thought it was absurd, and I agree with, uh, with Aaron and his wife, that uh, it's absurd to go on a wrestling show, and yes, it's reality-based, but to go on a wrestling show and say you don't need to know to, to have any knowledge of the business. And I wish uh, Patrick would have would have stuck to that tonight. But yes. um, I don't know. At the same time, I think one of the reasons Patrick is standing out is because of his versatility. And he's kind of showing a lot of dimensions of himself uh, very gradually. Um, even though it's only been two weeks, I feel like I, I sort of know him better than perhaps any of the other competitors on the show. So, right. um, I don't know. I think in some sense, it's really kind of giving us some insight into um, sort of how dynamic his character can be. Aaron, let me follow up with this and ask you this question. The thing that keeps on popping in my head, the winner of this is going to win a quarter-million-dollar contract to be the next WWE superstar. And granted, when you had people to sign these indie deals and everything, we know that people that's on the bottom of the toll do not make that much money. Do you feel the way this show is going, especially how you voice, how your parents have you and your wife have not originally liked it compared to season one when it started in 2001 or with the Stone Cold version, which I personally was my favorite. Um, do you feel that whoever wins this competition is going to be worth $250,000 to be a tough enough contract? And how would that you know, go in the locker room of WWE current superstar? I can tell you I wouldn't want to be them walking into that locker room with people who are still in, you know, NXT or haven't even gotten onto NXT yet, you know, guys like Enzo and Big Cass, or you look at a guy like Samoa Joe, like, I wouldn't want to be the young, green as grass, unproven commodity that just made a quarter mil. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to go over well in the locker room, but I'm sure they get it that it's part of the business now. Um, are they worth it? Probably not. And by probably, I mean definitely not. But I guess the one thing that they have going to their advantage that someone like Enzo Amore or someone like Charlotte doesn't have is that they would have been featured on cable TV for, you know, 11, 12 weeks straight. That would be an advantage, national recognition, and uh, maybe some built-in star power there. So maybe that's an advantage, and that's where you get the investment part of it, but... I don't know, man. I think that there's a lot there's a lot of better talent that's worth the money that they already have and a lot more talent out there in ROH or working in PWG or New Japan that they could bring in. Like, I wish they would have taken all the money that they had invested into the show. As much I am enjoying the show. I don't want to, to sound like I'm not, but take all the money they invested in the show and all these quarter-million-dollar contracts and give it to guys like Kuzichiko Okada or Shinsuke Nakamura and bring those guys over. Like, that's who I want to see. Just saying. But granted, I'm a hardcore fan and they're trying to appeal to a national audience, so I get it. I got you. And I know we kind of focused on the negatives in the way because we started out in our conversation with the tangent, but let's go ahead to positives. Uh, Dr. M, what positives do you have uh, about this show that you like looking going forward into week three? Uh, You know, Overall, I enjoyed the show tonight, and I, I'm getting more accustomed to the general format. I really like uh, how the suspense is sort of managed at the end with the voting. Um, 
And I like the guest appearances uh, on the show as well, although I was a little confused and maybe I was sort of distracted by other things tonight, but with the Roman Reigns appearance tonight um, and, you know, the whole Bull Dempsey uh, appearance as well. And I, I was intrigued by where that was going. And did I, did I miss something? Did anything happen after sort of that one or two minute segment where Roman Reigns kind of appeared and, you know, Bull did his finisher on uh, Ty Dillinger. Was there, like, a follow-up to that? No. Yeah, I got confused with that, too, because I thought, for example, that Taz was going to have to take or to take the bump of Bull's finisher. I, that's I what that I thought. Gonna, that's what I thought they was going to do. And then after that, you see Roman's gone, and they're just taking regular bumps or doing bumps off the, you know, top rope onto the, onto the soft mat. So I got confused about that. What do you think, Aaron? Were you confused about it as well, or did, did we miss something? Yeah, I was, because all the previews that they had on Raw and you know on the network all week for this new episode of Tough Enough, the primary feature was the Swamp Challenge and Roman Reigns and Bull Dempsey. And I thought Roman Reigns was going to be an integral part of the episode, and he wasn't. And yeah, that was kind of... I mean, a lot of reality TV promos these days are just kind of misleading to get you to watch and see. Sure. Yeah. Like uh, you mentioned, um, like reality celeb marriage boot camp or whatever. Like my wife and I, we watched that on Friday nights. Um, yeah, me too. And like they did a whole episode recently where they teased that um, Hank and Kendra were going to reveal their, you know, whatever Hank did. And right. they didn't in the episode at all. It's going to be next week now. And they want you to watch the next week. And. It just kind of felt like that a little bit. It's kind of tradition. It's typical uh, reality TV. Mm-hmm. What about your positives, Aaron? Do you have any positives going into week three based off this show today? I uh, I can definitely second what Doctor M said about the drama with the kind of the voting aspect. I ended up downloading the Tough Enough app this week, and um, I was I always like I'm always interested to see who the judges pick to put in that bottom three. I wish that they would have let Hulk put in Alex, though, considering he kind of trashed the history of the business. Like, how could you say that and, A, have the trainers that they have, you know, people from the Attitude Era and from, you know, the Monday Night Wars, and then you got to go see Hulk Hogan on Tuesday night. Like, why would you say something like that? I wish I wish Hogan would have laid into him way more than he did, but it kind of seemed like Jericho was trying to rush it along for the pace of the show. But um, I like the way that they do the voting. Um definitely going to watch live more often now and besides that i'm just glad they finally took some bumps i wish they would have done that week one absolutely absolutely i agree if i could take one positive and i kind of want to take a positive and let's take it to the next level when they do their 30 second uh i guess outro to see what they can do to save themselves i wish they would give them one more uh, additive to it and add more time and let's say for a minute you have to make a promo of doing something. And that was one of the greatest things about Stone Cold's Tough Enough, where they had to have a promo, and Stone Cold was in front of him. I think one of his promos said, make me afraid if you or why I shouldn't want to wrestle you right now, or make make a promo about your time on Tough Enough right now. And some of that was the best promo work I have seen, you know, just raw talent do just to try to sell themselves. Because that's one thing that you have to do if you want to be a WWE superstar, and Stone Cold says it all the time. Promos, promos, promos. You have to say why you're doing it, what's your reasoning, and can you sell it to somebody to make somebody want to look at what you're doing? So I hope they want to, you know, take that to the next level and have some promo work 
in which they could save themselves that way. Maybe that can be an added element if somebody just needs to be saved because we need to see the whole aspects of the rest of this. We have to see the acting, we have to see the, the, uh, the work they have to do in the ring, and we have to see the promo work. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. Aaron, you said you have a surprise for us that you want to you know, add in tonight's segment. And let's go ahead and take the floor. What you want to do with that surprise? I want to get a hot take from you guys um, because we have all booked our hotel, as I've said many, many times on past episodes, for Arlington, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Fort Worth area for WrestleMania 32 next April in 2016. I um, I followed like three or four different kind of wrestling gossip dirt sheet news sites. And one of them, it was kind of backed by some people who are kind of pretty credible insiders. They kind of have their finger on the pulse a little bit. And one of them was kind of reporting that Vince has been having... WrestleMania meetings with his team more frequently lately because they got to start thinking about that early to get 100,000-plus into AT&T Stadium and Jerry World next year. Yeah. Um, some of the rumors I'm hearing, you know, same old, same old with Taker Sting. That seems to almost be a lock. They were discussing, though, what was interesting, and I got my wife's take on this because she's going to be going with us again to WrestleMania. And I want to get your guys' hot take on this. Hulk Hogan has made it no secret that he wants to be a part of WrestleMania next year, maybe perhaps as a, a last retirement match. And the big rumor that I read now is that they are maybe thinking of having him work a one-on-one match with John Cena. And apparently John Cena's open to it. Now, I posted this. We have a private Facebook page just for the people that are going on our trip, and I posted this, so I think you guys saw this the other day. I want to start with you, Dr. M. Do you want to see that match? Uh, my first inclination would be to say no. But I, I, I'm sort of thinking the, of this from the hardcore wrestling fan perspective. Uh, as a hardcore wrestling fan, I, I, just, I have no interest in seeing Hogan in the ring again. Um, I, I just can't see myself being entertained by a Hogan match in part because of his, his physical limitations these days. And um, as much as Cena has kind of pulled out all the stops lately in terms of integrating some new moves, I just don't know if that's enough that to sort of keep me all that engaged in the match. Now, from sort of the business perspective side of things, this match would obviously draw tons of attention, um, arguably tons of excitement for Mania too. Um, two of the biggest names in WWE history in one match. Um, from a business money perspective, of course that should happen. Um, so I'm a little conflicted, uh, Aaron, in the sense that I personally don't want to see it happen. I, I feel like I would love to see someone else who has been kind of working hard all year on Raw, SmackDown, the house shows get a, a good spot on Mania. Uh, but at the same time, I could easily see that match, you know, maybe drawing those extra several thousand fans that, that Vince wants to fill that stadium. Celis? Uh, Dr. M, you kind of put it right on the head, and then I will, I will add to it. Um, two things come to my mind when I think about this match. I think about Rock Hogan uh, from WrestleMania 17. 18. And I think about more recently. Oh, 18. I'm sorry, 18. Yeah. I th- and I think about more recently um, 
Cena and Brock. And with both of those moments, it was kind of like a passing of the torch in a way. Um, more specifically with Rock Cena. It, it was legitimately in, I think it was WrestleMania 28, the passing of the torch where Cena had beat Rock for the WWE you know, title at the time. 29. I don't mean to keep God, correcting you. Well, the first, no, the first one wasn't 28, but Rock won that one. Cena won the next year. Yeah, okay, Cena won the next year, so that was 29. So when that match happened, you know, there was a passing of the torch. So in a way, it's like the Rock, you know, gave his blessing to Cena, like, okay, you are the man now. But then at WrestleMania 18, when Rock and Hogan did it, it was like, it was like uh, the match everybody wanted to see at the time. And we all has stated both privately and publicly on the podcast that it wasn't the greatest match, but it was about the atmosphere that The Rock gave in that match. And I think The Rock really sold that match because The Rock was still in his prime in wrestling. And even though The Rock was wrestling at 28-29 against Cena, we could tell The Rock was not in his top wrestling shape because, I mean, he hasn't wrestled in a while. He still could go in the ring, but it wasn't the classic Rock of old. It was like a new generation of Rock. And if you put both of those people that The Rock put over in a way, at this WrestleMania, at this time, it's just too, too, too late. Like, anything that Hogan does against Cena, I mean, Hogan is so old, I don't I don't know if I can legitimately say, wow, that really probably hurt Cena. If Cena could kick out everything that Cesaro did against him on Monday night, and everything that... that uh, Kevin Owens has done to him for the last two pay-per-views, how can I sell that whatever Hogan does at his age will really hurt Cena? And at the same time, it's like Cena should troll over Hogan, but what is good does that do to Cena? Because he's already being fed as the best person that can't lose. So it's like a lose-lose situation. Let's say if you put Hogan over, it's so unrealistic. If you put Cena over, it's no point. And I think this match might be actually a match where both of these mega stars might get mega booed at the same time. Because I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to see this at all. <laughs> that would be hilarious if that happened. Um, I Here's the only way I can see this working. First of all, my you know fantasy booking several months out before I read this, I kind of wanted Hogan to tag with Cena against maybe two younger up-and-coming heels. Um, I don't think you could have Kevin Owens continue to feud with John Cena that long, but just something like that, mm-hmm. I think that could work. And then you kind of have the nice moment where, you know, Cena and Hogan celebrate in the ring at the end and they do the pose down. Like, I could I could get into that. That would be fun, especially to be there live for it. But I, I agree with what you're saying. That I think it is kind of too late. I think back to when they did Rock and Hogan in Toronto at WrestleMania 18. And the reason that match worked and because it was cool was not just because it was a dream match, although it was. It was for the first time after WCW had folded and Hogan had finally come back to the uh, WWF at the time, you looked at it and you said, oh, wow, this match is now possible. This wasn't possible before because Hogan was in a different company and he hadn't been in WWE since like 92, 93. I can't even remember when he left. It was after WrestleMania 9. But it was finally possible, and that was kind of the cool part of it. Like, ooh, look what we can do now. But, like, I don't get what's special about this. Hogan and Cena have been around each other for years now. We could have done this, you know, shortly after Cena started to get hot. 
if we were going to put him over like at WrestleMania 22 or 23 or 24 or something like that, if they were going to do it. So, but the only way I could see it working, if they feel they have to go there, I think maybe you have Hogan turn a little bit heelish. Not like the crowd's going to be on his side no matter what over Cena, I think. But maybe you have work an angle where Hogan has some guys behind him, maybe bring in the NWO or something, I don't know. But have them like injure Cena. So it's Hogan wrestling an injured John Cena. So you you at least have the idea that Hogan could win. And the match would have that element of the storytelling to it. That's the only way I could see it working. What do you guys think about that? That could definitely be, uh, I think, uh, add an intriguing aspect to this match. Um, yeah, I, I think sort of speaking to the point Celis made earlier that it, w- it would be almost... It would be flat out unrealistic to um, see Hogan defeat, I think, a 100% John Cena. So, Aaron, I think your point, um, your idea would be um, very feasible. As I was kind of sharing with you guys sort of off this podcast, I personally think that um, Hogan's best role at this point is something similar to what he did at this year's WrestleMania. I, I liked the fact that he you know, had his moment uh, as part of the Sting Triple H match on the outside of the ring, and it was nice to see him kind of have that spot. He got a little bit of physicality, and that was it. And I was I was very content with that. Um, I, I just, I struggle to even fathom being excited about him in a, in a full-length match right now. I mean, I guess it would be if Cena was working like an injury angle, it would at least keep Hogan on the ground. He could, like, work the knee, like... Mm-hmm. He can at least still do that. What do you think, Celis? I, I would agree with that. The only thing I don't like about it is if we bring the NWO back again, this time against John Cena, I think it would get very played out. Yeah. Um, based on how Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are in their own individual at this time, um, I don't want to see a repeat of that. You know, It was great with the massage with DX versus NWO, but NWO versus Cena now, then you start to get pretty repetitive. Even though you'd love to see him, it's the same thing. And, and Still, with three guys of that nature, I think Cena probably could still take them all at this point, you know, in their careers. So it just, to me, it just seems unrealistic. Um, it makes money, yes, but if you want to sell it, it won't work. The um, the other interesting component that they could do, and they'll never go there, it seems like at this point, but like not only have Cena beat Hogan at WrestleMania, but have him destroy Hogan and like t- give us that heel turn we've wanted from John Cena for so long. That would be the that would be the way to do it because I think you know the majority of the audience would uh, get pretty upset at John Cena turning on one of the most beloved figures in wrestling of all time and just beat him down in old age. That would be the ultimate heel turn. If he did that and brought the Thug Life gimmick back, <laughs> I might mark out. <laughs> but it, it's not going to happen. I'm preaching, and it's like a definite wish, 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 wish list. Yeah. Well, let me, uh, I guess maybe well, let's just close it out with this since we're talking WrestleMania. I want a fantasy book WrestleMania at least once a month from this point out since we're, um, we're like 270 some days. I think I put up a link WWE had on our private Facebook page about it. You know, we're less than a calendar year away. Uh, why don't Why don't we finish out with this? Why don't each of us give a match that we realistically could project and could expect to see? Not, you know, don't say like, Goldberg versus Scott Steiner. Like, obviously, that's not happening. Although, 
good lord, that would be interesting. <laughs> um, let's start with you, Sellers. What would be a match, realistically, that we could expect to see on the uh, WrestleMania card proper? Not the pre-show, but on the actual card. Realistically. And you know what? <laughs> Please forgive me, but the first person that popped in my head was Kofi Kingston. I love Kofi. And we had mentioned, we, we had mentioned you know, how he's facing Brock you know, this Saturday at the you know, Beast in the East. And he's been putting these high-profile matches with Roman Reigns and, you know, other wrestlers, you know, he hasn't won. If Kofi Kingston, whether he's part of the New Day or not, is get a chance to be in a high-level profile match at Mania, not the main event, but just a high-profile match where he can have his WrestleMania moment, that's going to be my my fantasy book. And I don't know what it's going to be. I don't want to be for the Intercontinental title. I don't want to be for the U.S. title. I want it to be like a main event-level feud. Maybe a Randy Orton feud that should have been completed years ago. Yeah, to bring that back, I, I will take that to elevate. Co- I mean, Kofi Kingston to the next level. Maybe he can, you know, be a future WWE World Heavyweight Champion before his career is all said and done. But that would be my fantasy book. That that could be fun. I I think him versus someone like Randy would be a perfect fit. And you're right. Like he got such a huge reaction when he was beaten up on Randy. I want to say it was at Madison Square Garden on Raw several years ago, and then they never really did anything with it. Um, I think that could be great. What do you think, Dr. M? Oh, man, this is tough. Um, You know, I think WrestleMania 32 would be the perfect time to have sort of a culminating big-time match with um, the members of the, or the former members of the Shield. Um, the caveat to that is sort of figuring out how we get there because I think I'm certainly not the only one who thought that probably at some point this summer we would finally get the, the long-awaited triple threat match uh, between all three members. But now with kind of Roman being occupied with Bray Wyatt for, I would imagine, a while and, you know, Rollins with Brock Lesnar, that's going to get put off. And it would seem odd to me for them for WWE to do that match later this year in sort of one of the one of the fall pay-per-views that don't really get a big build. So um, I don't know. I think I, I really like the way that the the Shield, the former members of the Shield, have been sort of booked separately, and they've kind of periodically clashed with each other, and there's alliances and so forth. And I think it would be very fitting to to have a, a culmination to all of that at, at Mania next year. You stole mine, Dr. M. That's Sorry about but that. But I, I guess I've said that on, on the show. I'm, I'm in perfect agreement with that, and I think the, uh, the booking of getting Roman kind of away from the Shield a little bit with his feud with Bray Wyatt is uh, purposeful, and I think that it's with that in mind to have that Shield match feel fresh if and when, and hopefully they do that, they do go with that, whether it's for the title or not, it would be amazing if it was for the title and it was the main event. Um, since you stole mine, I actually thought of another one. <laughs> and I, there's just so many guys, like I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do with them down the road at this point. Like, what are they going to do with Sheamus? Who, you know, I'm assuming he'll be in the title picture at some point, you know, SummerSlam or past that. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think Brock's going to end up taking the title off of Rollins. And then Sheamus will cash in so that you can have the title on TV and that's a way to get Brock off TV for a while. 
But uh, that's kind of beside the point. But I think I think about what they're going to do with Kevin Owens. Mm-hmm. And I think about what they're going to do with Bray Wyatt. Wouldn't that be interesting? An Owens-Wyatt match? Yeah. Huh. That would be interesting for sure. Wouldn't that be interesting? And if they weren't going to go there, because that's kind of heel-heel, one of them would have to turn in order for it to kind of work well. Although I think both of them are kind of half-baby-faced as it is. Uh, Bray Wyatt more so at times. Kevin Owens sometimes also. It, wouldn't it be interesting also, you, you kind of see Bray Wyatt pick his fuse by picking up kind of a, a personal character flaw issue that he sees mm-hmm. in people. I think he could find a lot to work with with Finn Balor. Just saying. Oh, yeah, definitely. Picking on him for painting his body up and not uh, not being real or, you know, I'm just thinking like Bray Wyatt here, which is difficult to do, but that could be a good match and a good feud. So, can I just can I just say that uh, in addition to uh, at least my one idea for a fantasy match, I just I really want to see at Mania next year a technical wrestling classic. Yes, uh, I, I can't remember which Mania it was, but the Mania and Aaron, you probably know this. The the Mania where there was a triple threat between. Uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, and uh, he who shall not be named. <laughs> that would be, um, you're thinking of uh, WrestleMania, oh gosh, I think you're thinking of WrestleMania 2000, because didn't they do Voldemort versus Angle the next year? I think so, yeah. It was and, either it was either 2000 or it was WrestleMania 17, but I want to say it was WrestleMania 2000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right, and I just remember, that. I mean, that was an excellent match, and of course it was with the competitors involved but uh i think it would be great you know just to have one match on the card that is just a technical wrestling masterpiece i mean i think that would be so perfect for this huge mania coming up and i will already say i want one of the competitors in that match to be last night's mvp from raw cesaro yeah he really needs to have a big time match not like Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, even though yeah. that was really cool when we were there in New Orleans. Um, I definitely am with you on that. It's, it, I, I watch matches like, you know, like a Steamboat Savage or like that, that triple threat you're talking about, and it's just like, man, it's one of those things where, like, you know the match is going to be good, but when you're there and that magic's happening, it's just a whole nother level. Now, yeah. between, between us, we've attended a couple WrestleManias, now, the both of you were in Atlanta, Georgia for WrestleMania 27. Do yep. you guys feel you saw a technical masterpiece at that one? Mm, no. no. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think we did. I mean, maybe, and so, so we'll see what you have to say about this, but I think maybe the closest that we got to that um, was probably Edge and Del Rio. Uh, in terms of just the, sort of the quality of, of the wrestling in the match. And, of course, there were, you know, shenanigans at the end. But uh, I don't know. I can't think of another match from that card that even sort of came close to that. Yeah, as far as technical, like, I was thinking CM Punk, Randy Orton, that wasn't. Of course, Undertaker, Triple H was more brawler type. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, it's tough. I was thinking even Cody Rhodes, Ray Mysterio, but that still wasn't technical. It was good movement, good action, but... Yeah, pure technical, all aspects on the ground and the air wrestling like you would have those three members that you mentioned. 
uh, will perform together. I, I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think back to when I attended WrestleMania 22 in Chicago, and I don't necessarily think like there was a lot of gimmick matches, which was kind of fun to see. Like I got one of my favorite matches ever was, uh, and I told him this in person when I met Mick Foley, Mick Foley Edge uh, hardcore match with Lita involved. That was amazing to be there for. That was magic, but a different kind of magic. I um I heard a recent interview with Shawn Michaels where you guys might remember that Eddie Guerrero passed away a few months preceding that WrestleMania. It was penciled in for Eddie and Shawn to wrestle one on one at WrestleMania twenty two. Oh man. That I just I think about the what ifs with that one. And you end up having Shawn wrestle Vince, which was a great fun match, but it wasn't the my opinion the greatest use of Shawn Michaels, but you know, I think the closest thing that we had, and I wouldn't consider it a masterpiece, would have been Trish and Mickey James for the women's championship yeah. on that card. That was a great match. Not a masterpiece. You know, if it had 10 more minutes, maybe we could have got there. But thinking, just kind of projecting ahead to WrestleMania 30, which all three of us were there as well as D-Wayne, did we see it? I think the closest thing we saw that night to a masterpiece would have been Triple H, Daniel Bryan, um, which is still, to this day, one of my favorite WrestleMania matches. I like the story that they told about that night. It was a great match, but masterpiece? Mm. Maybe not quite. Maybe not quite, but it was really stinking good. Mm-hmm. Look, I guess that's a really great point you bring up, Dr. M. If you were to pick someone to be Cesaro's dance partner to put on that, you know, the Steamboat Savage of WrestleMania 22, who would you want him to work with? Uh, well, my first... My immediate choice would be a 100% healthy Daniel Bryan. Um, is, and obviously the, those guys, they've had their, their run-ins on Raw before, and you know they've always been excellent. But, man, I, I would love to see a, a solid 20 to 25-minute technical classic between Cesaro and Daniel Bryan, um, a, a healthy Daniel Bryan. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, if... You know, Daniel Bryan isn't able to compete at WrestleMania next year. Uh, I don't know. That it's a great question in terms of who might be uh, another opponent. I, I'm drawing a I'm drawing a blank right now, to be honest. Fellas, who's that? I got for you. Philip C M Punk Brooks. Yeah. If he was a comeback. Good luck on that. <laughs> and then it's not going to happen, but. You know, that would be the only person I would see that. Because, you know, even with CM Punk and, and Daniel Bryan, when they had their little few, all those matches that they put on were classic matches. And you knew that was going to happen going in. Um, I'm thinking Neville maybe. I don't know. Because Neville can really work in the ring as far as technical. Uh, it's hard to say. You know, even this is a way out. But I would like to see Kalisto. If he can go in a singles <laughs> match maybe by himself. I don't know if he can go like a Rey Mysterio type. It, it's just hard to say. But Kalisto, of course, is not a name up there with Cesaro at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even Xavier Woods. I mean, I'm pretty sure, if, given the time, Xavier can give a technical match, you know. Um, it's just hard to say. I have one. Who? Brock Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> He'll turn the suplex city into leg lock city. Dude, like, people forget, though, man. Like, think back to the matches he had with Kurt Angle and The Undertaker back in, like, 2002, 2003. That's true. Rock and go. He did an Iron Man match on SmackDown with Angle. That is very true. Yeah, people forget about that. 
And it's, he it's has a classic wrestling background. Him and Dolph Ziggler both have similar college classic wrestling backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just and you'd have kind of something built in there, considering that Cesaro used to be a Paul Heyman guy, and yeah, you know, Cesaro doesn't have the size on him, but he's got the power to yeah. go up against Brock, and it would be believable. Um, I, just one quick thing before we wrap up, too. I I just realized that Kevin Owens, I, I've already figured out who he's going to face at WrestleMania now. Who? Sami Zayn. Oh, that would be good. Right? That would be good to see that on the main event level and, and a raw audience, SmackDown audience, instead of just NXT or underground audiences. So that would be good. And I think you have you have Kevin Owens carry the U.S. title and have Sami Zayn win at WrestleMania. I like, like that. I would prove that. Because Sami Zayn's not going to even be back till after the new year, and you could you could have him start coming at Owens, but Owens say like, "Oh, you're not ready to challenge for my title," and have him kind of work at it and earn towards it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you have to have Sami Zayn do it. That would be a great way to bring Sami Zayn back right? to the picture. Yeah, I'm pretty smart sometimes, you guys. I'm just saying. Yeah, you have your moments. Man. <laughs> I have my moments. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? Because the next time we're talking to these fine people on their speakers or on their earbuds is going to be um, Break Dawn on Saturday after we watch Beast in the East. Um, only thing I have left is I will say this, just thinking about what we're booking and just specifically with Kevin Owens with this U.S. title. I think the U.S. US title has now, in a way, surpassed the value in comparison to the Intercontinental title. And I think if you think about when John Cena initially got the strap, that was the goal. Daniel Bryan had to go the same thing for the Intercontinental title, but of course he got hurt. I think John Cena has done justice as, you know, having his open challenges and having somebody that can legitimately carry the U.S. title, and, hey, it got some value to it. So I'm, I'm happy for at least one mid-card belt title. I couldn't agree more. I think the reason the IC title was so over, um, you know, back in its heyday with guys like Steamboat and Savage and whoever and Bret Hart, because they had the best match on the card when they had the IC match, and, that's what's been happening with the U.S. title match. Um, just taking, for example, Raw last you know last night as we record this, Cesaro and Cena without question had the best match on the card. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Doctor M. Any parting words before we talk to our listeners again on Saturday? Uh, no parting words. Although I, I will just say I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the the spectacle that Kevin Owens and uh, Finn Balor can put on. For sure, I'm. That's probably going to be the highlight of my July Fourth because we're celebrating for my family on the third, so I'm not doing much that day. Um, one one final question for you guys, real quick. Nothing to do with actual wrestling talk. How are you going to wake yourself up and be ready to watch wrestling? Are um, are either you guys big coffee drinkers, or what do you do to get up when you're sleepy? <laughs> well, for me, I'm, I'm an early morning person. If it wasn't for my wife, always trying to, even when I'm off work right now from school and my my brief moment. She always wakes me up when when she leaves out, so I can always walk out with her. So I'm just a naturally rising morning person. I'll just get my Lego, my Eggo waffles, <laughs> sausages and turkey bacon, and I'll be good to go. Have some juice with me, maybe some breakfast and beer, and I'll be good. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be up. It won't take me long at all. Good man. What about you, Doctor M? Well, uh, I actually have a birthday party to go to the night before. Um, that will probably stretch into the wee hours of the morning, so I may not even go to sleep. <laughs> Burning the candle at both ends. That is what the good doctor recommends. 
Uh, I, I, side note, side note, Aaron, just made me think about this. When we saw Mania 27, like literally, I was sleepy coming back to Marcus's dad's house. And Marcus, I mean, Dr. Ever, he just still was like doing work and everything <laughs> to try to make sure he stayed. I mean, he really pulled up a 24 hour night, even after Epic Mania. It was just so funny. So I doubt Dr. M will be going to sleep. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, um, I, can't, I can't do it like I used to. So Yeah, we're getting, we're getting a little older now. Um, I will be probably getting back, you know, sometime between 9 and 11 o'clock at night from my family gathering for celebrating the 4th of day early. I will most likely have coffee in tow. I'll probably have seconds before the show is done and just get a good breakfast, kind of like what Celis was talking about. Um, maybe have some eggs, have some juice, something like that. I'm, but yeah, um, I'm also a morning person. It's not going to take me much, especially with wrestling on. You know, that'll be kind of the the natural caffeine, if you will. Well, guys, uh, this is probably going to end up being one of our longer episodes by the time I put all these segments together. But uh, give everybody a lot to look forward to for Saturday, Beast in the East. And until we talk to you guys with our review next time, have yourselves a great week. This has been another production of the Big Goat Belt Wrestling Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at BGB Group or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Big Gold Belt. Email us at Big Gold Belt Group at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.